Well, as I mentioned in the opening this morning, we are continuing our study of the the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to do it a little bit different this morning. We're not going to read through the entirety of the text as a, as a, as a whole. We're going to take it verse by verse as we read it and as we break it down, just to mix it up a little bit this morning. But we'll be looking at verses 14, 4 through 14. As we discussed last week, the book of Hebrews, the letter to Hebrews, is written to the Jewish people. These Jewish people, the, the object, the, the, the audience of this letter, are fully aware of the Old Covenant, what we call the Old Testament, primarily the Pentateuch and the, and the five original, the, five, the first five books of the Old Testament, plus the prophets, major, minor. They're, they're fully aware of all of this. This is how they have lived their lives up until this point. The author of Hebrews is stressing throughout this letter that the new covenant is better than the old. That Jesus Christ is the better priest and the better mediator and that he is the final priest and the final sacrifice. And at the same time, Throughout the book, we will see comparisons between the new covenant and the old covenant. And between Jesus and everyone else. To establish that Jesus is superior in every way. In the first three verses that we looked at last week, Jesus is shown as superior to everything and everyone. Starting in today's text, God will give us examples of specific things that Jesus is superior to and why. Today, the subject is angels. This subject of angels, I don't know how much each of you have studied it. But as I looked into this text and dug into it, I realized how little I had studied the subject of angels who they are, what they are, what they do, what their purpose is. And it was fascinating to me. Now, I will preface it with this. The the, the central point of this text is to establish the supremacy of Jesus over the angels. I'm going to tell you, I don't think angels are something that we genuinely struggle with as something that we lift higher than Jesus in our contemporary culture. I know it was in the time that this letter was written because that's why the writer addressed it. But I want to look myself, I looked myself, and I want to share with you some of the things I learned about angels. And we're going to come back to the writer's original point, but we are going to spend a substantial amount of time this morning looking at angels and exactly who they are. Obviously, we as human beings, we, mankind, we are an amazing creation. We have worked through the centuries that we have been in existence to recreate ourselves, to create life like robots, to create artificial minds. We're not anywhere near there yet. Yes, there have been some incredible technological advances, but we're not anywhere near, not even a little bit near what God created. And there's some that tell you we are, but we're not. Not to the ability of creativity, the ability of 
self-healing. When I say self-healing, that, that our bodies heal themselves, cells regenerate, breaks heal, all of these things. Man is working on these things. But the, the human body is absolutely amazing. Obviously, it's greater than the plants and the animals. We are higher than any other temporal creation, any other creation that we know in the realm that we live in. But there are created beings even higher than mankind. Stay with me on this one. You understand where I'm going. At least as we live and breathe. I'm speaking of the angels. So why do I say that angels are higher than mankind? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9. John MacArthur makes this case. And remember this in context. He he looks at this verse and, and I agree with his interpretation. The author says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. We see him, speaking of Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels. After the, so Jesus himself, when he became manifest in the flesh, the writer of Hebrews says, was made a little lower than the angels. Under, after the fall of the rebellious angels under Lucifer, the angels that remained in heaven were no longer subject to sin. Heaven was cleansed of these fallen angels. The angels that are still in heaven are holy, powerful, and wise. They do not have the weaknesses that we have as human beings. They are specially created spirit beings. Made by God before he made us. They were there watching in the heavens when God through Jesus created the world. They were of a higher order than man. At least higher than fallen man. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. As a matter of fact, ultimately, when God's kingdom is established, those who come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ will then be, in my interpretation, a little higher than the angels. Because God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This subject of angels is very broad. You could do studies yourself. There's books written. There's scriptures. Just lots and lots of them referring to different attributes and characteristics of angels. The Bible, as I said, speaks a lot about them. There are 108 direct references to angels in the Old Testament alone and 165 in the New Testament. They were created to worship and serve God. As we look at this text this morning, we're going to look at, even more in depth, who the angels are, where Jesus ranks with the angels, and we know the answer to that question. We're going to look at a little more why and what this means to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for this truth. We thank you that Jesus is supreme over all. And Lord, we thank you for this journey to see that laid out case by case, instance by instance. May your spirit guide us this morning as we look at this subject, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 
who are the angels and what do they do? We talked a little bit about their rank as far as compared to us. But who are they and what do they do? Angels are spirit beings. They do not have flesh and bones, but they do have bodies. Whatever heavenly form they have, they are capable of appearing in human form. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. One of the most intriguing verses, I believe, about angels. It says, Do not neglect to share hospitality to strangers. For, by, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. There are angels among us. I have to confess, every time I thought about that this week, I went back to the Alabama song. I don't know how many of you know it, but I listened to it yesterday. I didn't see anything too theologically wrong with it, but it's, it's amazing. The writer of Hebrews says it here. They're among us. Many of you may have stories. If you do, I'd love to hear them, where you believe there may have been an angel come into your life in human form and help you, encourage you, guide you in some way. Those stories exist and those stories are real. The writer of Hebrews says it was going to be that way. Angels may also appear in other forms. Matthew chapter 28, verse 3. Speaking of an angel at Christ's resurrection, it says his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Angels are intelligent. They have emotions. They rejoice when a sinner is saved. Angels can speak to us. They can speak directly to us, as recorded in many places in Scripture. But in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, but even if, an angel, even if me or an angel from heaven, if me or an angel from heaven were to preach to you the gospel, contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul alludes to the fact that angels can preach to us. Matthew chapter 22, verse 30. For in the resurrection, they neither marry or given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. Angels do not marry. They are unable to reproduce. Another trait, another fact we know about angels through Scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It's all about Jesus. God created angels. That's part of all things. But it's all about Jesus. The Bible never mentions angels being added to those of the original creation. I believe that God made them all at once each with a unique identity. Along that line, so with that premise set, that God created all the angels at once, they cannot be killed. 
They cannot reproduce. I make this statement. We do not become angels when we die. I know that that thought is out there, but just as a matter of fact, we do not become angels when we pass from this earth. We get a new body, but we do not become angels. Angels are a separate entity, a separate being that God created for a, for a specific purpose. As I said, angels cannot die. The Bible never mentions where they died or are destroyed. Each is a direct, permanent creation of God. Again, for a specific purpose. Their number never increases or decreases. Angels were all created before mankind. We don't know how many there are, but there are a lot of them. Even after many of them fell with Satan, numerous holy angels were left in heaven. Those who fell did not die. They were sent to hell with Satan. Looking at the numbers, Daniel chapter 7 verse 10 Daniel speaking of angels. It says a thousand thousand serve him. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Revelation chapter 5 verse 11. John wrote, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering, numbering myriads of myriads. And thousands of thousands. There are one commentary surmised, I guess just contemplated that there could be trillions of angels. I cannot confirm that math. But I know that there are millions upon millions and probably billions upon billions. There, God has these angels, again, to serve to, for a specific purpose we'll talk a little more about. Angels, another fact about them, are highly organized and divided into ranks. And those various ranks apparently have various supervisory responsibilities. There's scripture to back up all of this. I'm not getting into the weeds of it. We just simply don't have time this morning. But these are the amazing facts of this, this legions and legions of angels that God has created. Among the special classes of angels are cherubim, seraphim. And those described simply as living creatures. These angels are more powerful than mortal man. They're more powerful than us in our, in our fleshly bodies. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh or blood. But against the rulers. Against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This, I believe, is speaking of fallen angels. These are the enemies that God is sending after us. If, if you like good literature, uh, C.S. Lewis has a book entitled The Screwtape Letters. And he artistically dramatizes this interaction between the fallen angels and the holy angels and the battle over a man's soul. And for lack of a better word, as you read that book, it's just eerie. 
But I also believe it's very accurate. Not in the dialogue and all of that, but I, I believe that battle is raging in each of us. Satan has his workers out there, the fallen angels, working against God's workers, the holy angels. There is this spirit realm. There's this angelic realm. This is a real thing. We cannot fight these fallen angels without divine intervention. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to fight these fallen angels. Some angels have names. Michael was the head, is the head of the armies of heaven. And Gabriel is called the mighty one in scripture. Lucifer is the name that Satan had before he fell. Again, these, these angels are individuals. What do they do? Well, angels minister, holy angels minister to God and his will. They are observers and participants. They participate in redemption and judgment. They are there at these occasions. They ministered to Christ in his humiliation and at the end of his temptation. Angels came and they ministered to him. As you read the account at the beginning of Matthew chapter 4. They also minister to God's redeemed by watching over the church, the body of Christ. Assisting God in answering prayer. Delivering from danger. Giving encouragement and protecting children. They also minister to the unsaved. By announcing and exacting judgment. Angels have a specific purpose and place in the kingdom of God. At the time Hebrews was written, while the Jews understood a lot about angels, they also got a lot wrong. And it was probably muddled up through history as we went through the time between the Old and the New Testament and even during the Old Testament. It was, it was muddied up. Many believe that angels were just under God and authority. That to the point that God actually had a council, a council of angels who helped him make decisions. Some assigned them special authority, similar to the Roman gods who had been an angel of the sun, an angel of fire. They distorted it. They made angels, tried to make angels what they were not. The author of Hebrews, this is what the author of Hebrews was addressing. He wanted to address that incorrect thinking and was very specific about where Jesus ranked in relation to the angels. Verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Hebrews emphasizes that Christ and his work far surpassed angels in their work. Jesus created the world, sustains the world, reveals God's glory, makes God known, and provides the perfect sacrifice for sins. No angel can accomplish any of these things. Christ is far greater than the angels. From verse 5 through verse 13 of our text this morning, the author brings, quotes, seven Old Testament scriptures 
to describe Jesus' superiority over the angels. Verse 5. The first two quoted in verse 5 come from the Psalms. And build on the last part of verse 4. Because the name that Jesus inherited, that the author of Hebrews was speaking of, was Son. And that had deep meaning. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. The answer is none of them. We go on. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Again, the titles of father and son reveal a distinction between these two members of the Godhead. They also reveal the unique relationship of the son to the father. No angel can claim such a relationship. Verse 6. This is from the Septuagint. And the Septuagint, just for your information, was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. The original language of most of the Old Testament was Hebrew. At some point prior, in the centuries prior to Christ's time on earth, it was translated from Hebrew into Greek so that the Jews of that time who had, who had been in a Greek kingdom could understand it. That is the Septuagint. In this verse, that's why it doesn't line up when we look back at the Old Testament actual text now. But this is just a little background there. And it comes from Deuteronomy. The quote does. It says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Again. The author knows his audience. The author of Hebrews knows his Jewish audience. In Jewish families, the firstborn son held the place of highest privilege and responsibility. As firstborn of creation, Jesus surpasses any created being. Because of this, the author says, let all the angels of God worship him. Verse 7, again, a quote from Psalms. It's of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wings and his ministers a flame of fire. These angels are glorious. Let there be no mistake. They are glorious, just as the one described at the empty tomb. God's created angels are glorious. And as creator, Jesus made them. Verses 8 and 9. Again, another quote from the Psalms. It says, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of the prideless is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. His throne, Jesus' throne, is forever and ever. His reign is upright. He loves what is right and hates what is wrong. Only Christ has such perfectly pure love for righteousness and hatred for evil. Christ is superior to any other spiritual being. 
His, the, these realities allowed Jesus to be anointed with the oil of gladness. The Jews would anoint their priests and their kings with holy oil. Jesus had been anointed king and priest. He was able to be a sacrifice for sins because he was perfect and hated all wickedness. He was worthy to be anointed with the oil of gladness. He was worthy, the only one who could be that perfect sacrifice because he hated all wickedness and loved all righteousness purely. Starting in verse 10, again, from Psalms, this quote, again, pointing to Jesus' place as creator. It says, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Hebrews celebrates the permanence of Christ by contrasting him with the temporary nature of the world that we live in. The world can seem permanent to us. If we don't have any type of eternal perspective, the world can seem permanent to us, and we're trying to hold on to it with all we have at any cost. But when we have a, an eternal perspective, we understand the fragility and the temporariness of this world that we live in. And it will one day wear out like old clothes. The world, like the clothing, will be rolled up and fade away. Christ, however, will be always the same. His place is permanent. And he will replace this temporary world with a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 13. Again, one more quote from Psalms. It says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? This position belongs to Christ alone. This is the last of the seven quotes that the author of Hebrews makes in he's, he's, this position that he's speaking of in establishing Christ's supremacy over the angels is stating that this position belongs to Christ alone and no one else. The greatest archangels stand before God but are not allowed to sit. That posture of sitting at the right hand of God. No angel is in that place, only Christ. Sitting next to God indicates equality for Christ. God promised to make Jesus' enemies a footstool for his feet. This is a picture showing Christ as completely victorious over his enemies. Jesus cannot be replaced. What does this all mean? Why do I care? Why do you care where the angels rank? Verse 14. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit 
salvation. The angels are ministering spirits who are sent from God to care for those who receive salvation. Like the angels, remember the fallen angels, like the angels, we have a choice. The angels' purpose is to serve. Christ's purpose is to reign as king. God sent his angels, sends his angels to serve us because he loves us. God provides for us. Again, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's not cultural now for us to hold angels above Jesus. We seldom talk about angels. But angels are real. Angels are powerful. Angels are a beautiful gift to us from God. I honestly think today we undervalue the work of angels. That is why, again, that I spent so much time on them this morning. With so much darkness in the world today, it is refreshing to focus on God's, God's agents of light. But if we don't, and that may be debatable, and I'll have that conversation with anyone who wants to have it. I'd love that. There's a, I dumped a lot of information on you about angels this morning, and I did not give you all of the scriptural references, not hardly any of them. And I'd love to have discussion about it. I'd love to, I want to, I desire to explore this whole subject of angels more and what they do mean to us and the gift that they are for us who have put our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But we do hold other things of this world above Jesus. If I can give you one thing to take away from this morning in a practical step, Angels are a means of God to minister to us, his children. Don't make gods of his means. Whatever they are, whether it's angels or whatever provision it is, don't put that in the place of Jesus. Remember, it's all about Jesus. Don't insist that as we're opening your minds, our minds up to angels more, don't insist that you have to have an encounter with an angel. Don't think that you have to have a miracle or God's not real. Don't hold any of the creation above the creator. The text I opened with, Luke, and, and the call to worship text this morning is Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 26. This reality in these verses is very personal. It makes this very real. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father or mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Hate is a strong Word, especially when we are called to love our brothers. And then Jesus turns around and says, whoever does not hate. Digging into the language, without getting too deep into the words and stuff, I, I want to teach this principle again this morning. I mentioned it earlier. The word here, when he says hate, it means love less. We are to love everything else in creation less than we love Jesus. 
That includes fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers, wives, husbands, children, our very own lives. We are to love less than Jesus. If we don't love everything else in creation, including angels, family, friends, positions, possessions, our very lives, less than we love Jesus, we are not walking in the power of the truth. We are not disciples of the one true God. Jesus is Lord. He lived, died, and was resurrected. He is above all creation. If he were not, he could not be our Savior. When we lift other things in creation higher than Jesus in our hearts, we are denying the resurrection. We are denying the power of Christ. If we do not hold him in that position in our hearts, we are not his children. And we are not his children because we're good enough. We are his children because he adopted us by the blood of his only son. We've looked at angels this morning. As we continue this journey through Hebrews, we're going to look at more things that Christ is superior to, to, and he's superior to everything. But the writer of Hebrews is going to get specific in some other areas. And as we look at these, you say, well, I don't hold angels up, or I don't hold this up or that up. What do you hold up? What do you struggle with? Because we are flesh beings. We are tempted with selfishness, pride and anger. If not angels, if not something else that's, that's listed in Hebrews, what do you struggle with putting in the place of Jesus in the authority of your heart? That's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we looked at as we looked at angels this morning. That's what we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. I encourage you this morning to ask yourself that question and listen for the answer. Because there is no greater place to be in this world than a disciple of the one true God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord. We praise you for your love for us. We praise you for your care for us. We praise you for your provision for us. Lord, we praise you for the angels. We praise you, God, for how you gave them to minister to us. We pray, pray, Lord, for open eyes that we can see the angels among us, that we can see your work among us through them. Not that we can put more emphasis on them than you would have, but that through them we can look to you, to Jesus, because it is all about Jesus. That's the only way this life works. That's the only way we have that step into eternity, that doorway into eternity, that provision into eternity. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son. Thank you for your provisions for us in so many ways, God. May we walk in your love and in your spirit and in your truth, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.